Open to Psalm 105. Last time we were together in the Psalms, we, we studied Psalm 103 and 104, which were sort of uh, twins, very similar in style and in message and in theme. And 105 and 106 are similar also. I love these historical Psalms because it, we, can, we can make reference right back to exactly the situation and we can see not only the, the psalmist's view of it, but we can go back and we can see the actual historical account. And so, like we did last week, we're going we're gonna to go back and forth to, to the historical accounts, mostly in Psalm 106. But uh, 105 speaks of God's covenant toward the nation Israel and his promises and his faithfulness. Both of the Psalms give us a picture of God's desire for all men to live in obedience and holiness. And because we're sinful nature, we have a sinful nature, we fail in that many times. But we can also see God's grace and his mercy. So, because of that, the psalmist here encourages us to praise the Lord for his grace and his mercy in spite of our sin, in spite of our sin. So, we're going to jump in to the first seven verses. First seven verses here are filled with praise, thanksgiving for all that the Lord has done. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and judgments of his mouth. O seed of Abraham, his servant. Oops. I just lost my place. <laughs> Electronics. <laughs> o seed of Abraham, his servant, your children of Jacob, has his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. So we see there in those, in those verses praise and thanksgiving. The verses are urging us to do several things in our relationship with the Lord in order to keep us in an attitude of thankfulness and communion with Him. So, first thing it tells us there is to give thanks. So, give thanks. Remember His blessings that we have, regardless of what we may be going through at the time. Re remember His blessings and to be thankful. And then the psalmist is urging us to call upon His name. So, to keep those lines of communication open to be in prayer, to, to have those times of, of uh, communion with Him. And then He's urging us to make known His deeds. So, to let people know what God is doing in your life. How He's blessed you. You know, and even though we have difficulties, not to go around grumbling and complaining, but to let 
people know His wondrous deeds in your life. It says in Philippians 2, 14 and 15, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, we're supposed to be lights in a dark place. This world is dark, and we need to be those lights. So we need to show people and tell people what God's doing in our life and be those lights. We also need to sing his praises. The psalmist is urging us to worship him as an expression of our praise to the Lord. And then three times the psalmist says, seek the Lord, seek the Lord. Why is that? I think it's because God wants us to remember that we don't go through anything in this life alone, that we can seek him. It says in Acts 17.27, remember when Paul was preaching this sermon to the, uh, to the crowd in Athens, he was showing them what the true God was like. And he's, he's saying that you can have a relationship. Remember, he was speaking to people who had various gods that they really didn't have a relationship with. The one true and living God we have a relationship with. And so he says, so they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. And so that's our relationship with the Lord that, that we're encouraged to have. And then to remember the things that he's done for us. The psalmist is continuing here to, to show us what that relationship is all about. Verses 8 through 15 tell us that. He says, he remembers his covenant forever. See, we're encouraged to remember, but we also see that God remembers. God doesn't forget. God is always faithful. It says, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham, and his oath to Isaac, and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan, as the allotment of your inheritance. When they were few in number, indeed very few, and strangers in it, when they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their, for their sakes, saying, do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. What an awesome promise that God made to the nation. And God doesn't forget. God is always faithful. And that goes hand in hand with us remembering. We should remember all that he has done, especially in the light of the fact that he doesn't forget his, his promises to us. So we see this specific covenant here that the psalmist is referring to. It's the Abrahamic covenant. And this was an unconditional covenant that God made. With Abraham. That means that God would bring it to pass regardless of what Abraham did or didn't do. And I think that's an awesome covenant. Now, sometimes there were conditional covenants that God made with, with people, with nations, or, or with individuals, but this one was not one of them. In Genesis 15, just to get a, a sense of the historical 
part of it. In Genesis 15, 17 through 18, it says, And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So we remember that Abram wanted, he wanted to get confirmation from the Lord. So he set up this sacrificial uh, uh, way of, of God sort of confirming his promise. And what happened was God sort of took upon himself both sides of the covenant. See, most times in, in an agreement, a covenant is just an agreement. So when you have a contract with somebody, usually you sign one and the other person signs the other and you agree to perform some duty or service to one another and that makes the covenant binding, the, the contract binding. But what happened here is God signed both sides of it. And since Abraham didn't sign his part of, part of the contract, then he couldn't break it. So it was all on God. This is awesome how God promised these things to Abram and it came to pass. And I think what that does for us is show us his glory. You know, it just causes us to praise him. Then back to the psalm in verses 16 through 23. The psalmist writes, For, for more, moreover, he called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. Israel also came into Egypt and Jacob dwelt in the land of Ham. So we sort of have a condensed version of chapters 37 through 50 in Genesis, which we're going through on some Wednesday nights. So we see Joseph here um, being used of the Lord and God's hand upon the nation, even though they went through very difficulties, very, very difficult times in the land of Canaan. Now we think about it to make application for us. Sometimes we may be right where God wants us, but he's still going to allow trials in our life. Jacob's family experienced the famine and traveled to Egypt by divine direction. And they learned many lessons. They learned that God hadn't forsaken them. They learned forgiveness and reconciliation with Joseph. Now, I won't give away the end of the story, but you, we, see, we see how that happens. And we also learned that God can turn what we see as bad into something good. And I will give away a little bit. In Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph says here, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about this day to save many people alive. You see, God has a plan and a purpose in everything that he does. And in everything that happens to us, 
as children of God. We just need to be obedient and understand that, that He's got a plan. And then back to Psalm 105 in verses 24 through 38, we see another historical account here. He increased His people greatly, and He made them stronger than their enemies. He turned their heart to hate His people, to deal craftily with His servants. He sent Moses, His servant, and Aaron, whom He had chosen. They performed His signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made it dark, and they did not rebel against His word. He turned their waters into blood and killed their fish. The land abounded with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and lice in all the territory. He gave them hail for rain and flaming fire in their land. He struck their vines also and their fig trees and splintered the trees of their territory. He spoke, and locusts came, young locusts without number, and ate up all the vegetation in their land and devoured the fruit of their ground. He also destroyed all the firstborn in their land, the first of all their strength. He also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among his tribes. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them had fallen upon them. As we see the plagues here described in this, in this portion of the psalm. He's re, the psalmist is retelling the history here of God's blessing upon the people of Israel. He was with them. Think about it. He was with them even during their oppression and persecution in Egypt. They continued to grow in numbers despite the opposition against them. And I, then I, may, I think back and I recall the early church growth that despite the imprisonments and the stonings and the, and the murder and the persecution by Rome, the church continued to grow and expand. And then if you look up articles today, even today, the underground church in places like China and Iran and North Korea and India continue to grow, continue to grow amidst persecution. So we see God's hand on His people there. And we also see that, that Jesus promises that the church will prevail in Matthew sixteen eighteen, And I also say to you, Jesus says, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So Jesus promises that no matter what the world throws at us, that he would protect it and cause the church to thrive. Verse 38, I I love that. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them had fallen upon them. I, I would say so. After the ten plagues came, I would think that Egypt would be glad when, when the Israelites departed, that they actually paid them. Pharaoh paid them to leave, gave them gold and silver. You know, think about it in our, in, as we relate to it. The attitude of the world towards us when they realize that God is with us and that nothing they do will deter His work in our lives. And so the, the world kind of, eventually, you, you would think that they would just give up. 
And so we'll, we'll see how that goes, but we know that it's happened in the past. And then in verses 39 through, through 44, the psalmist says, he, he spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light in the night. The people asked, and he brought quail and satisfied them with bread of heaven. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It ran in the dry places like a river, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. He brought out his people with joy, his chosen ones with gladness. He gave them the lands of the Gentiles, and they inherited the labor of the nation. So God's promises here in the wilderness to give them a covering during the day and light at, in the evening and to provide for them their food and their, and their sustenance and their water. Just awesome to see God's promises fulfilled and, and God's people protected and provided for. And then the reason why is that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Praise the Lord. So, why did God create us and why does God do any good for us except that we would glorify him? And that's, you know, I, I got a little picture of that today. I, I've never read this book. Maybe some of you have. Jonathan Edwards' um, The End for Which God Created the World. The End for Which God Created the World. Basically, speaking of the God, God's reason for all things is to bring himself glory. And when you think about it, it doesn't matter. What we do, it's all for the glory of God. John Piper wrote kind of a commentary on that book, and he says, why is it important to be stunned by the God-centeredness of God? Think about that. The God-centeredness of God. It says, because many people are willing to be God-centered as long as they feel that God is man-centered. So it's, it's almost like we're waiting to see what we can get from God and we'll be God-centered if that's the case. It's a subtle danger, John Piper writes. We may think we are centering our lives on God when we're really making him as a means to self-esteem. Over against this danger, I urge you to ponder the implications, brothers, that God loves his glory more than he loves us. God loves his glory more than he loves us, and, and that is the foundation of his love for us. So it's sort of a circle. He glorifies himself. He calls us to glorify him. He blesses us. He does things for us, but it's only so that we can bless him and glorify him. He brings rain when we need rain. He blesses. Psalm 106. I hope we get through this. Psalm 106. This psalm begins and ends with praise. In between, the psalmist mourns over the sin of the nation. Reminds us, reminds me how much more we need to praise him when we realize everything that we've been forgiven for. That's what confession does. It sort of brings us to a point at which we understand that when we confess, He forgives. And when He forgives, we realize that blessing and that grace upon our lives, and then we praise Him. It's an, it's an awesome outpouring of that. So in verses 1 through 5, Praise the Lord. O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. 
for His mercy endures forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can declare all His praise? Blessed are those who keep justice, and he who does righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor you have toward your people. O visit me with your salvation, that I may see the benefit of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glorify with that I may glory with your inheritance. So we are going to relate to the people of Israel as we study this psalm. We can see ourselves in them, especially in their sin, but we can also see ourselves in them in a way that we need to honor God for his grace and his mercy. Verses 6 through 11, we see the first account here of, of the sin of the nation, actually 6 through 12. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of him who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then they believed his words. Then they sang his praise. So the first account here, the historical account of the nation's sin. And for us, it's when we fail to recognize God's hand, God's wonderful works. God saved us for his glory. And so his power and grace are made known to all people. Verse 12 relates to Exodus 15 when the nation realized God's hand upon them and bringing them through the Red Sea. They sang his praise. There was the song of Moses at the end when they came through the Red Sea. All those verses says, then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. So we see that when God brings us through, you know, a situation, a difficulty, you know, just, just to sing his praises. Then back to the psalm, then soon they forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their request but sent leanness to their soul. The next instance of the sin of the nation refers to them forgetting so quickly what God had done. It only took them three days in the wilderness to start complaining against Moses. And I I think about how ungrateful sometimes we can be when adversity hits and and we, we kind of forget everything that God has done. Even if we just saw some awesome thing that, that he did in our lives. It says, When they envied Moses, verse 16, in the, in the camp, and Aaron, the saint of the Lord, the earth opened up and swallowed Dathan and covered the faction of Abram. A fire was kindled in their company and the flame burned up the wicked. So the next sin here we see of the people when Korah and his followers 
came against Moses and Aaron in Numbers 16. We won't go, we won't go to all these accounts because we want to try to get through them, but just if you're taking notes, that refers to Numbers 16. Sometimes sin comes in the form of envy over someone else's position or God's blessing in their lives. And that's what, and that's what this sin makes reference to. God had chosen Moses and Aaron to lead the people into the promised land. But it didn't take long for many to become jealous. They accused Moses and Aaron of taking leadership roles when they believed that everyone was capable of leading. It says, God's Spirit is among the whole congregation. Why do you take so much upon yourselves? So, so the, they made accusation against them. They assigned evil motives to Moses and Aaron by exalting themselves, they claimed. And then they charged them with pride and arrogance. So, you know, people will come against you, you know. And when God has chosen you and you know it and you're, and you're doing what's right in God's eyes, there will be people that come against you. But God will advocate for those whom he chooses. And then back to the psalm in verse 19, they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molded image. Thus they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. Remember when Moses said, you know, he asked, prayed for God to, to relent from destroying the whole nation of Israel. But this next instance of sin, we see when people fail to trust God. That's what their sin was there. You know, remember Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days and, and the people thought that he just, I don't know, he's delayed, he, he's not coming back. We need to do something about it. They started to make a, a molded image out of gold and worship that. You know, their sin consisted of not waiting on God's timing. How many times we do that? Sometimes God's timing is not our timing. We don't know. So we need to learn to wait upon Him. And then they thought that God had forsaken them. You know? So they decided to replace God. They replaced the true God with a false God. You know, and, and again, that sin is making a God in, in their own image, not worshiping the true God. So then the, the psalmist continues in verses 24 through 27. They, they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his word, but they complained in their tents and did not heed the voice of the Lord. Therefore, he raised up his hand in an oath against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their descendants among the nations, and to scatter them in the lands. The next mention of sin here, unbelief. Unbelief of the people. And sometimes unbelief can enter in because of discouragement in our, in our lives. You know, we just get discouraged and we start to, start to lose our, our faith. And sometimes it's because we're not wholly following the Lord that we don't understand His plan for us. 
And maybe his plan isn't what we would expect. And so we start to go over toward unbelief because of that. And that's, the psalmist is saying here, this is one of the sins of the nation that sometimes we also fall into. Then in verses 28 through 31, they joined themselves also to Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices made to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped, and that was accounted to him for righteousness to all generations forever. So the sin here, if you're taking notes, recorded in Numbers chapter 25, the sin of idolatry and sexual immorality. But I like the fact that we see there one man, Phineas, stood up for righteousness in the midst of national sin. And I can relate it to us that the pull of the world is strong upon us as Christians. But each of us can stand up for what's right and make a difference. Phineas' righteous stand caused God to relent in his judgment. Think about that. One man stood for righteousness and he was rewarded by God with the imputed righteousness of salvation. We see that. So we see, we see God honoring that. Somebody standing up for what's right. And then moving on, verses 32 and 33, they angered him, God, also at the waters of strife, so that, it went, so that it went ill with Moses on account of them, because they rebelled against his spirit so that he spoke rashly with his lips. So we, may, we remember the account in Numbers chapter 20 where God, Moses misrepresented God to the people. We see that sin where, where God told him to speak to the rock, that it would bring forth water, and it did the first time. But Moses, because he was, he was angry with the people and he misrepresented God's anger to the people, he struck the rock. Remember, and, and he told him to strike the rock the first time, but not the second time. So Moses misrepresented God in his disobedience to God. See, God wasn't angry with the people, but Moses gave that impression. And then I look at the rock, and it says in the Scriptures that that rock represented Jesus Christ. It was a picture of Jesus, the rock of our salvation. And then we see why Moses' sin was the misrepresenting of God, because Jesus Christ was struck once for our sins, so that now all anyone needs to do is speak in prayer to Jesus and salvation will, will come to them and God will pour His Holy Spirit out upon them. So we see that misrepresentation of, of Moses to, um, for God to the people. Then in verses 34 through 39, it says, They did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood 
the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled by their own works and played the harlot by their own deeds. We see here that you know, God remained faithful to bring the children into the promised land and, and they continued to conform to the world around them. And that happens to us too. You know, sort of that, that influence, that pull of the world. You know, a, a, a post was, was put up on our Facebook page today about, of a, uh, a little article by Greg Laurie. And part of that says that Jesus has called us not to isolate, but to infiltrate. Our job is to permeate, to saturate. It's not to evade, but to invade. So see, we have a position in this world, not to be influenced by it, but to make an influence on the world, not to be conformed to the world, but to show them Jesus in our lives that they may come to him also. They even took on the false religions of the, of the heathen nations around them. And then in verses 40 through 43, actually we can go all the way to 47, therefore the wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people so that he abhorred his own inheritance and gave them into the hand of the Gentiles. And those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them and they were brought into the subjection under their hand Many times he delivered them, but they rebelled in their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry, and for their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the multitude of his mercies. He also made them to be pitied by all those who carried them away captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from amongst the Gentiles, to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. So we see here two things. We see that sometimes God used the enemies of Israel to actually discipline them. And, you know, when God uses our enemies against us to, to show us where we've gone wrong, where we've sinned, you know, that's, you know, it's, it's almost like the last resort. You know, you're not going to listen to good counsel. You're not going to listen to your Christian brothers and sisters. Maybe you'll listen to one of your enemies if they come against you. And then we also see the unconditional nature of that covenant that God made with his people. That God remained faithful even though they continued in their rebellion. And on, as a result we receive the grace of God. Emergency alert. Flash flood warning. Did everyone get the same one? (laughs) Avoid flood areas. Okay, so we're going to finish up. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Amen. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we...